take our Bibles this morning to 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. And as you're turning over there, we've entitled the message this morning, Difficult Commands for Difficult Times. Difficult Commands for Difficult Times. And at the outset, I need to be clear that these commands of 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 are not difficult because God has made them difficult. We need to be very clear that God's commands, God's law, is not too difficult. And I'd like you to listen as I read 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Now in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3, John is quoting Christ, but he's also quoting the Old Testament, Deuteronomy in particular. You remember the words of Christ, if you love me, keep my commandments. So if you want to know whether or not you love God and love your Savior, Jesus Christ, ask yourself, am I obeying His commands? Now, obviously Christ quoted this, but it also comes from the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9, the scriptures are very clear that those who love God keep His commandments. Know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps His covenant and His loving kindness to a thousand generations. Now listen very carefully. And those who love Him, and what? Keep His commandments. So right there, the first part, of 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. Jesus Himself said, if you love me, keep my commandments. goes right back to Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9. Those who love God keep His commandments. Now, notice the second part. His commandments are not burdensome. They're not a burden. They're not grievous. That comes from Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 11. For this commandment which I command you today, now listen carefully, is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. That's exactly what John's referring back to in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3. See, we've got these preachers slithered into pulpits like snakes telling you, listen, you don't worry about God's law. Don't worry about the law of God. It's too hard. It's too difficult. God made the law so hard, it's impossible for you to obey it. And I'm here to tell you that that is a lie out of the mouth of Satan himself. His commandments are not burdensome. Now that also refers back to something Christ said. Take my yoke, take my burden upon you. Why? Because it is light. And in the context of that statement, he was referring to his law, God's law, versus the Pharisaical laws and traditions that were man-made. Jesus said that the laws of the Pharisees are a heavy burden, a heavy yoke of bondage. Christ says God's law is still a yoke, but it's not a burden, it's not heavy. And again, that goes right back to what we just read in Deuteronomy 30. I'll read it again. For the commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you. It's not too hard. 
nor is it out of reach. Oh boy, I just I wish I could keep this commandment, but oh, it's so hard. Now listen, child of God, you've got the Holy Spirit residing in you. And because you've got the Holy Spirit residing in you, this verse is more true today than ever. He told the children of Israel, who did not yet have the Holy Spirit indwelling them, that God's law, God's command, wasn't too difficult or out of reach. Now, if it wasn't too difficult and out of reach for them, who are we with the Holy Spirit of God indwelling us to think that God's law is too difficult, that God's commands are too difficult? See, I submit to you, the reality is they're only difficult in our own heart and mind. They're only difficult because we don't want to do them. Case in point, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Now, in our mind, we'd have been okay with this if Paul said, rejoice a lot. Well, that's not too bad. But we say, well, that's, you want me to rejoice always? That's too difficult. Only difficult because you don't want to do it. And if you don't want to do God, what God's commanded, you've got to ask yourself, don't you love God? If Paul had said, pray often, we say, well, okay, I can do that. I can pray often. But now he says, pray without ceasing? Now, wait a minute, that's too difficult. Again, it's only difficult because you make it difficult, not because God made it difficult. He said, it's not out of reach. I didn't make it too difficult. And then if Paul had only said, try to be thankful, we well, said, okay, I can try to be thankful. I'm not really a thankful kind of person, but I'll try to be. That's not what Paul said, though. And everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to be very clear here that the, the, all three verbs, rejoice, pray, and give thanks, are all in the imperative mood, meaning these are commands, not suggestions. Okay? He didn't suggest that you pray always, or uh, pray without ceasing. He didn't suggest that you rejoice always. He didn't say give thanks and everything as a suggestion. These are clearly commands from God. Now, again, they're difficult. Why? Not because God made them difficult. They're difficult because my flesh, my ego, does not want to do it. You say, well, these things, I, 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 I can do them in the good times. You know, listen, when things are going good, when things are going great, when things are going my way, I got plenty to rejoice about. I got plenty, you know, to, that I can be praying to God about. Hey, listen, nothing happened in my life, nothing affected me. Hey, listen, I can pray for whatever. You want me to give thanks? Oh, man, if I'm being blessed, I can give thanks to God for just about everything. But see, they become difficult to you and me because, like I said, our flesh is not willing. Our spirit is weak. Not God's spirit. Our spirit is weak. But what makes these even more difficult because of the weakness of our flesh and spirit is when we find ourselves in difficult times. See, these commands are not just for the good times. These commands are not just for the times when things are going your way. These commands are for the difficult times as well. 
These verbs are in the present tense, implying that these actions of rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks are to be continuous and recurring. The reality is, however, it's tough to rejoice, it's tough to pray, it's tough to give thanks when we're forced to do things we don't want to do. We've got to stay home. We can't go to the ballpark. We can't go golf. We can't go to the game. We can't go to the beach. We can't go take photographs. We can't go here. We can't go there. And so what do we do? Oh, we grumble and we complain and we murmur and we've got conspiracies and we've got theories and we've got all kinds of nonsense, all kinds of garbage spewing out of our mouths. You know, the Bible is filled with examples of people who grumbled and complained and murmured and come up with all kinds of conspiracy theories called the children of Israel. You know, 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, these things are written for your admonition, for your learning. Take a moment while you're locked down. Take a moment and go read through the Old Testament. For that matter, just go read the book of Exodus. And you find out what happened to those people. Oh man, I'm telling you, think about this. They were in Egypt and God miraculously delivers them. Brings them up out of Egypt. Brings them through the Red Sea miraculously. And the first moment they don't have a glass of water in their hand, they're murmuring and complaining. They're grumbling. And then here come the conspiracy theories. Moses and Aaron have taken us out here in the wilderness to die. Really? Really? Now see, the fact of the matter was they didn't have a clue what Moses and Aaron were doing. And, when, and you know, because of that, oh man, they come up with all kinds of ideas and opinions. Oh, well, just let us go back to Egypt. Just let us do this. Just let us do that. Everybody's got an opinion of what they ought to be able to do. The reality is, guess what? You're not in the position to make that decision. God's placed you exactly where you're at, Christian. And your job and my job is to not be murmuring and complaining and griping and listening to conspiracy nonsense. Even more so, makes me more indignant is these so-called Christians... Going out there, calling for uh, uh, committing crimes, Christians going, calling for other Christians to go out and break the law. Folks, Romans chapter 13 is clear. Romans 13 is clear to us what we ought to be doing. Let me read it for a moment. We may come back to this text later, not today, but I just want to take a moment and read Romans 13 to remind you of another difficult command for difficult times. Maybe we'll do a part two and we'll take Romans 13. But I want you to listen, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. It doesn't say here if you like them. It doesn't say if you like their opinion or if you like their rules or if you like the way they do things. Every person is to be subject to governing authorities. Why? For there is no authority except from God and those which are established by God. I got news for you. 
You know that politician you don't care for that you don't like? Guess what? God put him there. Oh, you, what do you mean God put him there? I'm telling you, God put him there. Now verse 2 says, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. So these Christians that are going out there and these other people, but particularly Christians who ought to know better, who ought to be setting an example, that are going out there and saying, we're going to keep our churches open. We're going to go out there and we're going to march on Trenton. We're going to march on Harrisburg and all this other. We're going to march here, march there. Let me tell you something. If you're resisting authority, whether you agree with the authority or not, the Bible doesn't give you that right. Well, it's my constitutional right. I got news for you. You're first and foremost a citizen of a heavenly kingdom. You are first and foremost a citizen of God's kingdom. And the Bible trumps even the United States Constitution. The fact of the matter is, if the Bible says that we are not to resist the authority, then if we oppose that authority, we are opposing God's word, God's ordinance. And it goes on in verse 2 to say, they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Wow. How many Christians right now are bringing condemnation on themselves out there with all this nonsense about we're going, we're, we're going to protest and we're going to open our businesses and we're going to do this and we're going to do this. Listen, I'm not discounting the fact that it's difficult. I'm not discounting the fact that it's hard and, and, and that there are consequences for the decisions that are being made. But first and foremost, as a Christian, we are to be subject to the governing authorities. And there is only a very narrow window that the Scripture, that our heavenly constitution, gives us as to when we have the right, quote-unquote, to break that law. And I got news for you. We're not there. We'll come back to this. We'll do a part two of a difficult commands for difficult times, maybe even next week. And we'll, we'll go through Romans chapter 13. And we'll pull some things out of that and make it applicable for the day and age in which we live. But right now we're in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Did you catch that last phrase, in Christ Jesus? This gives us the key as to how we can begin to obey these commands. Here's the key. You gotta be in Christ Jesus. So let me ask you, are you in Christ Jesus? What's that mean? Are you saved? Are you in union with Him? Is His Holy Spirit indwelling your life? And if your answer is yes, and I pray that's the case, if your answer is yes, I'm a born again child of God, I've confessed and forsaken my sin, I've put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord, i got news for you, because you were in Christ Jesus, these commands, even though the days may be difficult, don't have to be difficult commands. Let's look at that first command in verse 16. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. 
Here Paul is counseling the persecuted church of Thessalonica to rejoice always. Did you catch that? The persecuted church. The church in America is not persecuted. We don't know an iota of persecution. Sit home on your couch, put your feet up, read your Bible, listen to the message online in the comfort of your own home. You call that persecution? I call that pretty enjoyable. I got to be honest with you. I think it might be a little difficult and, and understand what I'm saying. But man, when we get back to the point where we can meet in the building again, it's going to be an adjustment. It's going to be an adjustment for me. It's going to be an adjustment for many of us. And I'm not saying that I don't want to get there. I do. I want to get back to that place where we can see each other face to face. But the reality is, if that's persecution, man, we got it made. How about Christians around other parts of the world where it's illegal to meet? It's illegal to preach. Where they have to do it in hiding. Where, where preaching is not allowed on the airwaves or on the internet. Where you aren't given the luxury to sit at home and listen to the gospel, listen to the word of God. Where if you're caught with a Bible, you're taken out and enslaved at best and killed at worst. And to the persecuted church of Thessalonica, persecuted because the government was coming in and ripping them out of their homes, putting them into prison, taking away their homes, burning their businesses down, he says, rejoice always. Now, does rejoice always mean you always go around with a smile on your face? No. Are you sinning if you ever feel sad, depressed, upset, or grieved? No. Is it unbiblical to say, you know, right now today I'm really having a bad day, I'm really struggling with some things today? No. You see, my friends, if rejoicing always means never feeling sadness, then we got a big problem. We got a big problem. You know what that problem is? The problem is that Jesus experienced sadness. Think about it. When he stood there at the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the English Bible. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. By the way, did you know that the shortest verse in the Greek New Testament is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, rejoice always? Think about that. But Jesus wept. You know, Hebrews 5, 7 tells us that as he faced the cross, he was, he was overtaken with emotion and with loud crying and with tears. He was sad. You see, rejoice always doesn't mean you're not going to be sad. But it means this, that our joy as a believer, as a Christian, is not bound by our circumstances nor hindered by our difficulties. Jesus rejoiced always even when he was sad. Jesus rejoiced always even in difficult circumstances. In Romans 12, 15, Paul says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Did you catch that? I'll read it again, Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. He didn't say stop weeping and start rejoicing. He said rejoice when there's time to rejoice, weep when there's time to weep. So in other words, when he says here, rejoice always, he doesn't mean put on a happy face and never feel sad. In fact, Hebrews 12, 11 says, 
All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Now, you know, we're dealing with this virus, and i got to be honest with you, okay? I believe God brings these things into our life for a purpose, and I believe that we can even get to the point of saying, you know what? I believe that God's disciplining the church. God's disciplining believers. Well, what did we do wrong? Who said discipline's about doing something wrong? Hmm. Listen, listen, when you discipline your children, sometimes you discipline your children with punishment, okay, because they've done something wrong. Other times you discipline your children by not letting them do what they want to do because you know it's going to have a bad consequence. Have you stopped to consider that maybe, just maybe, God has brought this virus across the globe, around the world, for the purpose of keeping his children from something they should not be doing. And if that's the case, we've got the reason to rejoice, don't we? All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I'm asking you a question here, and that is, are you allowing God to use this COVID-19 virus to discipline you for godliness? Are you looking for God to show you things through this season of your life that, yeah, can be sorrowful, but that have the potential of training you to yield fruit of righteousness? Everybody's so interested in what kind of fruit am I producing? Well, let me ask you something. Are you producing the fruit of righteousness? Well, how do I do that? Well, you got to go through some discipline. You got to go through some still waters. You got to go through some valleys. You got to go through some seasons of life that aren't easy. But as we go through those with the, with the attitude of, God, what do you have for me in this? God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? What dross are you trying to, you know, break off of me and remove from my life in the fiery torment of judgment so that I can yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness? James 1 verse 2 and 3 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing their testing of your faith produces endurance. You know, maybe some of you got a problem with being patient. God said, okay, well... For you, I've brought this trial into your life to teach you endurance, to teach you patience. Do you ever stop and think about the reason God put a difficult person in your life or a difficult situation in your life or a difficult circumstance in your life isn't to be mean to you or unfair to you, but to train you in how to endure in difficult times. To teach you how to endure for His sake and His glory. Oh, but pastor, you don't understand. This person, this situation, this circumstance, it's, 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 it's so bad, it's so horrible. Listen, I've had to deal with difficult people. I didn't like it. I've had to deal with difficult situations. I don't like them. I've had to deal with difficult circumstances. I don't like those either, but I can say, praise God, on this end of it, I've learned much through those. Oh, but pastor, I can't do what I want to do. Oh, pastor, I've got to do this differently. Oh, pastor, I've got to deal with this person. I don't want to deal with... Well, guess what? Consider it all joy. You ought, I ought to be rejoicing 
when we have to deal with those situations because we know that God is using it to work in our life for His glory and our good. Stop being short-sighted, Christian. Take off the rose-colored glasses, put on the glasses of the Word of God, get a biblical worldview, and look and see what God wants to do in your life. Romans 5, 3-5 says, And not only this, but we exalt in our tribulation. I exalt in our tribulation. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, I don't necessarily know that this is tribulation, folks. I mean, I think for us in the Western world, we think this is tribulation. You know, I got to stay home, I got to sit on my couch and watch Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever other streaming service I may have. Oh my, oh me. What am I going to do? Yeah, I've got the kids home all day. Granted, I'm sure that can be testing and trying at times. But that really isn't tribulation. Oh, Pastor, you don't have my kids. You don't understand. I'm glad I don't understand. You keep your kids at home. Six feet. Okay. Oh, Pastor, you don't understand the tribulation I'm going through. Maybe I don't. But I know this. God says we're to exult in it. We're to praise God in it. We're to rejoice in it. Why? Because not only is it going to make us persevere or endure, same idea, same uh, uh, idea between the word endurance and perseverance. And by the way, true believers persevere. Okay? But notice what perseverance brings about. This is why I said a moment ago in James, listen, count it all joy when you've got a, because it works endurance, it works patience. Here's why. Because patience or endurance, perseverance, results in character, proven character. Wow. And proven character, notice this, produces hope. And hope does not disappoint. You know, one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life, Galatians 5.22, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc., etc. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, 4-10, As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, in hardships, in distresses, Okay, now you say, okay, well, that, that's where we're at. We're, we're in trouble. We're dealing with some hardships. We've got some distresses. Uh, notice this. Keep going. In beatings, I don't know any above you getting beaten. In imprisonments, I don't know any of you being imprisoned. In riots, eh, we, we don't have it that bad. In hard work, oh, no. i got to work hard? Of course you do. Sleepless nights, we've all had them. And hunger. Well, nobody likes hunger, but been there. In purity and understanding and patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech, truthful speech, oh my, you want me to tell the truth? In the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left, through glory and dishonor, okay, through the good and the bad, bad report and good report, yeah, that's right, people are putting, passing on bad reports about Paul, untrue things about Paul. 
genuine, yet regarded as impostors, known, yet regarded as unknown, dying, yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful, and yet notice this, yet always rejoicing. So you can be sorrowful, you can be experiencing sorrow, and still rejoicing. And I'll tell you why here, because rejoicing is a conscious attitude of being content. And that contentment comes from being deliberately focused on Jesus Christ. We see this so often in the Psalms. I love the Psalms. That's why I'm always in the Psalms. You know, you go to the Psalms and you find it begins with the psalmist crying out to God for help in the midst of some life-threatening issue. And by the end of the psalm, he's praising the Lord and rejoicing in the Lord, even though his circumstances haven't changed. What changed? I'll tell you what changed. His focus on the Lord. That's what changed. And that's why, yes, you can be sorrowing and still rejoicing. See, joy transcends the waves of circumstances. Joy comes from a consistent relationship with Jesus Christ. And when our lives are intertwined with Christ, He's going to cause us to walk through the adversity without sinking. The joy of living in Christ is going to keep us rejoicing always. And we can rejoice because, you know what, our salvation is sure, our future is hopeful and bright. And nothing that happens on this earth can compare with the glory that is awaiting for God's people. And that ought to make us rejoice. So how can you and I develop a habit of rejoicing always? How can you and I develop a habit of rejoicing always? First, number one, focus daily on the riches God has given you in Christ. Focus daily on the riches God has given you in Christ. Now listen, if you don't know what that is, go to Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. That's a good place to start. He's blessed you with adoption, redemption, forgiveness, and inheritance, and the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So every day, here's the challenge. You want to be able to rejoice even in the midst of sorrow. Number one, focus daily on the riches God has given you in Christ. Number two, walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. That means yield to God, rely on Him to control your life regardless of the situation or circumstance. Rely on God to control your life in every situation, circumstance. And then number three, let me give you the third way that you can develop a habit of rejoicing. Sing. Simple as that. Sing. I alluded to this last time in another message. Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs will help you focus on the riches that God has given you in Christ. And by the way, it's no mistake that the longest book in the Bible is a songbook. Get in that book, get in the Psalms, and get your mind on things above. Rejoice always. How? Focus daily on the uh, riches that God has given you in Christ. Walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh, and sing. Now let's look at that second command in verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. The word translated pray there is the general term for prayer. Confession, praise, thanksgiving, petition for other personal requests. It includes all of that. But what does it mean to pray without ceasing? What does that mean? The word translated without ceasing is a word used in the Greek to describe a hacking cough. Now, a person with a bad cough doesn't cough continuously. But they cough 
often and repeatedly. A hacking cough. The term without ceasing was also used in the Greek uh, world of repeated military attacks. In other words, an army would attack a city, then regroup and attack the city again and again and again until they finally won the victory. So Paul, when he says pray without ceasing, he doesn't expect you to spend all all your time on your knees or with your eye closed when he he says to pray without ceasing. In fact, he was quite adamant that if you don't work, you don't eat. You got to get up and go to work. But it's possible for believers to pray without ceasing even when they're working. Because it's having an attitude of prayer at all times. And that attitude is built on acknowledging dependence on God. What it means to pray without ceasing is that praying should be as natural to you as breathing. In other words, you do it frequently and persistently. You know, I don't think about breathing. I just do it. Can you and I say that's what prayer is like in our life? Is prayer so natural to us that at the moment we need to pray, we just offer up a prayer? Romans 12.12 says, Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Praying without ceasing means we're devoted to prayer. In Luke 18 and verse 1, Jesus told the disciples they should always pray and not give up. We should pray. We should pray together. And I encourage you, when we get back to praying in prayer meeting, come on out and pray together. We ought to be praying together. That's praying without ceasing. Praying without ceasing, spending time with God alone in prayer. You ought to be doing that. You've got plenty of alone time right now. You ought to have plenty of prayer meeting time. In your own prayer closet. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever grown tired of praying for something or someone? Be honest. We probably all can say, yes, I've grown tired of praying for something or someone. Well, when Paul said that we ought to pray without ceasing, he means don't go give up, don't grow tired of praying for something or someone. Persistence in prayer is an expression of faith that God answers prayer. Faith shouldn't die if the answer doesn't come right away. Faith shouldn't die if the answer doesn't come this moment or when we think it should come. Because God's delay may be God's way of working His will. And so, believer, when you feel tired of praying, I want you to know now more than ever that God is still present, God is still listening, and God is still answering. Maybe not in the way we want. Maybe not in the way we hope for. But let's remember that His ways are best. His ways are best. Now, let me ask, how can we develop a habit of praying without ceasing? How can we develop a habit of praying without ceasing? Number one, recognize your need to depend on the Lord in every situation. Recognize your need to depend on the Lord in every situation. Second, send up short prayers whenever you can. You know, your prayer don't got to be no 25, 35, 45, 50 minutes. I mean, if that's what you want to pray, be my guest. Go right ahead. And the Bible, but here's the thing, folks. The Bible doesn't put a time limit on your prayer. Listen, if you've got an hour to pray and you can focus that whole time on prayer, then pray for that hour. God bless you. 
But it doesn't always have to be that way. Maybe you get up out of bed in the morning and you just say, thank you, Lord, for giving me another day. And off you go. You get in the shower and you're bathing yourself and you say, thank you, Lord, for giving me the washing of, and regeneration. The washing away of my sins and the regeneration as a gift of God. Maybe you're putting your clothes on. You give up a quick prayer. Lord, thank you for clothing me in righteousness. See, that's what we're talking about when we're saying praying without ceasing. Sending up short prayers whenever you can. And by the way, when you think of someone, when somebody comes to mind, send up a short prayer for that person. When someone asks you to pray for their need, don't tell them you pray about it. Pray about it then and there. Otherwise, you'll forget. And third, pray God's word back to God. Pray God's word back to God. I'll tell you, folks, some of the best things you can pray is Scripture. Okay? I don't know what to pray for. Listen, go look up the prayers of the Bible and start praying those prayers. And you'd be surprised before long, you'll find plenty of things to pray for. And number four, read the Psalms for examples of prayer. Read the Psalms for examples of prayer. So number one, recognize your need to depend on the Lord in every situation. Number two, send up short prayers where you when and where you can. Third, pray God's word back to God. And fourth, read the Psalms for examples of prayer. I want to give you a statement before we go on to our last point. I want to give you a statement by E.M. Bounds. E.M. Bounds. He said this, What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more novel methods, but people whom the Holy Ghost can use, people of prayer, people mighty in prayer, Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through people. He doesn't come on machinery, but on people. He doesn't anoint plans with people. People of prayer. I challenge you to pray. Pray without ceasing. And finally, number three, verse 18. In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. Now, Colossians 4, 2 says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving and prayer are definitely connected. You know, uh, I don't know if you've ever read the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. If uh, you haven't read it and you like to read, check it out. It's a good book. But in the Screwtape Letters, the demon Screwtape advises his nephew Wormwood to make the prayers of the man he is tempting into insults rather than prayers. So there's this guy that in, the, in the book, this guy's praying. He's praying about his mother. I'm not making any comments, okay? You just, I want everybody just to think about this. He's praying about his mother. And the screw tape, demon screw tape, tells Wormwood, the other demon, that I want you to turn this man's prayers into insults. And so as the man was praying for his mother, Wormwood come along and began to remind the man of all the little things that annoy the man about his mother. Now listen, you can take the mother out of it. You can make it your father, your sister, your brother, your father-in-law, your mother-in-law, your cousin, your neighbor, the Sally down the street, whoever, okay? So you're praying for them, but then all of a sudden you're getting more and more annoyed about them. And instead of praying for patience with her... All of a sudden, the man started thinking of all the things that she did to make him impatient. See, when we do not let our prayer lives be filled with thanksgiving, we're going to make the same mistake. Oh, he was praying, Lord, oh, Lord, I pray because she's driving me nuts. She's driving me crazy. She's doing this. She's doing that. Oh, oh, he was praying, but his prayers were nothing but insults. 
He wasn't taking a moment to thank God for what God had done and what God had given him. All he was thinking of was how he would like things to be. And so I would say when you're praying for others and you begin to think of all the little things about that person that begins to annoy you, I say this, stop focusing on those things and find something to be thankful for. Now notice Paul did not say give thanks for everything, but rather he said give thanks in everything. Giving thanks in every situation doesn't mean you're going to be happy about every situation. It doesn't mean that you've got to resign yourself to accept whatever without praying or working for any kind of change. Paul never instructed us to thank God for evil events. What he did instruct us here is to thank God that even in evil circumstances, God continues to work in our lives. I can give thanks in everything. Even in evil circumstances, I can still find something to thank God for. Evil's going to happen. And when it strikes, be thankful to God that He's there with you. Be thankful for the good that He has accomplished in your life. Be thankful for the good He can still accomplish in your life. Be thankful for Romans 8.28 that God causes everything to work together, the good and the bad, for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. I said before, I'll say it again, I'll probably say it a hundred other times before this is all over. That God uses difficult times to build our character and to strengthen our faith. It's easy to give thanks for the blessings. It's more difficult to give thanks for the blessings in disguise. Listen, I said it last week, I'll say it this week. I am so thankful for this shutdown. Because we here at Little Trinity Bible Church with our 45 to 50 people in the, in the morning service are reaching people around the world. We had somebody in Sweden logging in and listening to the messages. I think the last time I checked, 45 out of 50 states, somebody in 45 out of 50 states has heard our messages going forth. Man, that's an opportunity we might not have had otherwise. What an exciting time it is. And yes, even though it's evil circumstances, man, we can praise God. We can praise God. And I want to also say this. You don't always have to feel thankful to give thanks. Okay? I don't always feel thankful. You don't always feel thankful. Come on, you can be honest. Listen, be honest, because right now I can't hear what you're saying. We don't always feel thankful. And when God takes us through hard trials, we definitely don't feel thankful. But by faith we can still say, Lord, I trust that you're good. I know that what you're doing in this, I don't know what you're doing in this difficult situation, but I know you'll work it together for my good. And I can rejoice in that. I can give thanks in that. See, we've got to learn to trust God completely. We've got to understand that He's in charge. And that He's got a larger picture at play than you and I can ever imagine. And thanking God in everything means that we're trusting God in everything. Now, once you listen carefully, my next statement. If you choose to ignore or neglect God's command to be thankful, not only are you going to continue to struggle, but you are going to be part of the decay of our society. You say, now wait a minute, preacher. What are you saying? You just went from preaching to meddling. That's right, I did. 
If you neglect the command to be thankful, you are not only going to continue to struggle, but you are going to be part of the decay of our society. Oh, really? Absolutely. Listen to Romans 1. Paul describes how culture slid into disintegration. In verse 21, even though, Romans 1, 21, even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, and they became futile in their speculations. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. My friends, don't be part of the group. Don't be those who are bringing society to its knees. By dishonoring God, not giving God the honor that's due Him, not giving Him the glory that's due Him, not thanking Him. Later on in 2 Timothy 3, 1-2, Paul talking about the last days. And by the way, we are in the last days. Oh, really? Are we in the last days? Listen, you've been in the last days since Christ ascended into heaven. That's right. If you actually study the phrase, the last days, from the Old to the New Testament, you discover the last days is the period of time between Christ's first coming and second coming. So of course you're living in the last days. Christ ascended back into heaven. His first coming's over. His second coming hadn't happened yet. So you're in the last days, okay? Now, he says in the last days there's going to be a great apostasy. And notice what one of the signs of this apostasy will be. In the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents. And what? Ungrateful. Mm. Ungrateful. Now, we asked how you can develop a habit of rejoicing. We asked how can we develop a habit of praying without ceasing. And now, before we close, we've got to ask ourselves, how can we develop a habit of thankfulness to God in every situation? Number one, deepen your understanding of God's sovereignty and goodness. Again, I go back to Joseph. I've used that example so many times. What man meant for evil, God meant for good. If you're trusting in God, you're going to be thankful. If you're not thankful, you're not trusting in God. Bottom line. You know, I said before in this message, God delivered Israel from slavery, brought them through the Red Sea, brought the water of the sea down upon the pursuing Egyptian army, and you'd think at that point they could thankfully trust in God. But they went three days into the wilderness and found no water, and they said... What? And they grumbled against God. If you're grumbling, if you're complaining, you're not trusting. If you're not trusting, you're not thankful. So if you want to develop a habit of thankfulness to God in every situation, there's just one solution. And that you, got, that you have to deepen your understanding of God's sovereignty and goodness. Now I close with verse 18. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The this, in that statement, this is God's will, refers to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. You may be having trouble discerning God's will. I hear people say all the time, Pastor, I don't know what God's will for my life is. I got news for you. Open the Bible, okay? Well, what's God want me to do in my life? Open the Bible. Listen, he has got clear verses labeled, this is God's will for your life. And this is one of them. This is God's will for you.
Everybody's worried about God's will for this, that, and the other thing. Listen, I challenge you. Start out with the things God's clearly revealed are His will. And I got to tell you, when you do the things that He's revealed in His Bible are His will, you're not going to have any other questions about what His will is because He's going to make it all abundantly clear. But He says, Rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, giving thanks to God is always God's will for you. Friends, I want, you to, I want to challenge you not to let your joy, not to let your prayer, not to let your thankfulness fluctuate with your circumstances or feelings. Obey these three commands. Yes, I know it, we are in some difficult times. And I know because of our flesh these commands are difficult. But I'll go back to what I said at the beginning. God said, my commands are not burdensome, they're not too difficult, they're not out of reach. You, you and I, we've got the Holy Spirit of God within us. We can rejoice always. We can pray without ceasing. We can be thankful in everything. When we make a conscious decision to do what God says, all of a sudden you're going to see your circumstances from a whole new perspective. And as you do God's will, you're going to find it easier to be joyful and to be thankful. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the word that you've set before us here. And Father God, first and foremost, I want to pray that you'd help us to deepen our understanding of your sovereignty and your goodness. Help us to be in your word more so that we can understand what it means that you're in control what it means that you are good. And in doing so, Lord, help us to be thankful. Father, I ask and pray as well that you'd help us to recognize our need to depend on you. That, Lord, we'd be a people that would be ready at all times to offer up a prayer. Not a lengthy liturgy, but, Father, even just a brief prayer. God, help me. That, Father, we'd get in your word and we'd find those prayers of Scripture and pray them back to you. That we'd spend more time in the, your Psalms and learn what it means to pray and learn how our situations may not change, but our thoughts do as we focus on you. Help us to pray without ceasing. And Father, help us to daily focus on the riches that you have given us in Christ. Help us to walk in the Spirit and not by the flesh. And Father, give us a song. You've promised to put a new song in our heart. Lord, you've given us hymn books filled with songs. You've given us all types of technology where we can tune in and listen to psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Father, fill our minds with those things so that we can rejoice always. We thank and praise you in Jesus' matchless name. Amen.